Our scripture this morning is found in uh, Psalms chapter 85. going to highlight verse number 6, but I'm going to read the first seven verses there in chapter number 85. And these verses say, beginning in verse number 1, The Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. This morning I want to begin a sermon series about revival. And I want to preach this morning from those uh, words there in verse number 6 that say, Revive us again. Those three words this morning I want to concentrate on, Revive us again. This week, Pastor Steve Gaines is the pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He's the past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And just this week as I was looking and studying about revival, Steve Gaines said these words, he said, we can elect all the good politicians we want, but if the churches in America don't experience a genuine revival, our nation is doomed. Hear those words one more time. We can elect all the good politicians we want, but if the churches in America don't experience a genuine revival, our nation is doomed. Very poignant words for the day that we live in. As I was reading those words and thinking about those, I thought about my own thoughts about how specifically for the past generation or so, the church, especially the Southern Baptist Convention, we have been more worried about being kingmakers than we have been about being kingdom builders. We've been more worried about who we are electing and who's going to be governing than we have about the things that matter in our churches and about the genuine revival that is needed in, in our churches and the spiritual turning around that is needed there. Now, as we look and we talk about revival these next few weeks, I want us to, to realize that revival is specifically the business of those of us who are Christians. Revival is meant for us as, as a group of people. It is about bringing back life to us in times where we desperately need it. The evangelist Walter Bolt said these words about revival. He said, revival is God at work restoring his church to health. Now, we have to understand the definition there of what a healthy church is. A healthy church is a church that is winning people to Jesus. A healthy church is a soul winning church. A healthy church is a church that is, sharing, that is intentionally sharing the gospel with those around them. Revival must result in reaping the reaping of souls that are around us. Now, revival can be the experience of the whole body of Christ. Probably hasn't been that experience probably since the book of Acts when the whole church, uh, the, the whole New Testament church there began to look like they were in a great revival. Revival can be a, a, a worldwide phenomenon that reaches the whole church. Revival can be in a local church. It can be 
in a, a local church body. And revival can specifically be in the life of one believer, one Christian. So this morning, I want to look at three different phases here of revival and, and how we should be looking and praying and intently focusing on ourselves and this great subject of revival. First of all, we should pray for revival. The psalmist here is very specific in when he asks God this question, will you not revive us again? Now he's not just thinking or reminiscing about revival. He's actually praying for a revival in the nation of Israel. Look back at verses number 1 and 2, and he's focusing on the forgiveness and restoration of a people. He says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people, and you covered all their sins. In other words, Lord, we have come to you, and we have, we have asked for your forgiveness in the past. We have prayed for you to restore us. We've prayed for you to revive us, and you've done just that. And Lord, we know from looking at what you've done before that you would want to do that again, and you would want to revive your people. And so I'm asking and I'm praying, God, for you to do just that. All great revivals begin in one place, and that is the place of prayer. D.L. Moody, who uh, Moody Bible Institute is named for, uh, said this about revival. He said, every great work of God can be traced to a kneeling figure, someone who began in prayer. There was a point in time where Nehemiah heard a report from Jerusalem, the city that, uh, that, that, that he had a longing for in his heart. He'd never been there, but he had a great desire and a longing to see the city restored. And he heard a report that the people who were left there in Jerusalem were distressed and were troubled and were worried because the gates around the city had been broken down. Ezra had gone into Jerusalem and he had rebuilt the temple, but there were no walls around the temple to keep the people safe so the people wouldn't go and worship because every time they went to worship, they were robbed, and so they were afraid to go. Nehemiah heard this report, and he said, Lord, I want to do something about it. I want that situation to change. And so in Nehemiah chapter, uh, chapter number 1, Nehemiah goes before the Lord, and he prays for God to specifically restore the city of Jerusalem and help to rebuild the walls and to revive the city. And what he does in verses number 8 and verses number 9 there in chapter number 1, he goes and he reminds the Lord of his promise to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy. He says, Lord, you promised us that if we would live for you and we would abide in you and we would follow what you have said for us to do, that you would take care of us. But you said there would be a time where if we turned away from you, and we continued in our wickedness that you would pull your hand from us and you would show us your wrath. And he says, you've done just that, dear God. He said, but you've also told us that if we would come back and repent, that you would restore us. And we know that Nehemiah goes back and he rebuilds the walls around Jerusalem and a great revival ensues because of this. God told Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, after the temple had been uh, had been built the first time and Solomon, God comes to Solomon in the night and he says to him that it takes humility for revival to come. 
He specifically says in verse number 14, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. He tells Solomon, you have to come humbly and pray. Did I lose you? Okay. And then we see in Acts chapter 4, we see the boldness. After the first persecution comes to the church there in Jerusalem, and they go and they get together and they meet together and they pray and they ask God, God, don't let this, this, don't let this push us down, but make us bold. And the, in verse number 41, Acts chapter 4 says, When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were. Prayer is the key to revival. We should be praying for, for revival in our lives and in our church, in our community. But we have to know this. There is absolutely no revival, restoration, or renewal in our life, in our church, or our community if we're not praying for it. We have to be praying for it. Now, what are we doing about prayer for revival? Sometimes we have to inconvenience ourselves to pray and to ask God to bring to us a revival. We have to specifically set aside some extra time in prayer and ask God to begin in us individually and ask God to revive our own souls and to revive the souls of our church and the souls of our community. Sometimes we have to put together extra time to, to meet together and call special times of prayer together to do these things. But there is absolutely no revival unless there is prayer and we should be praying for revival in our life, in our church, and in our community. So we should pray for revival. And then after we've prayed, what should we do? We should expect a revival. When we've prayed and we've asked God and we've repented and we have said, Lord, bring revival to us, then we should absolutely expect a revival to come. Again, the psalmist asked these words, Will you not revive us? Again, now we believe that revival has taken place in the past. I've had conversations with people in our community just in this past couple of weeks, maybe during the holidays. I've had the opportunity to sit down with some other Christians and some other ministers and talk about the time where they were when they became a follower of Jesus Christ, when they were saved from their sins. And two or three of them have told me that it was in the middle of a church that was in a great revival. And how when they went to church that day uh, or on that evening when they went, that they knew in their heart that there was something, a move of the Holy Spirit, and they had no other, uh, there was no other response for them but to surrender and give their life to Jesus. They went, people were expecting people to come and be saved. Now we believe that revival has taken place in the past. We look at the scripture and we see that Jonah submitted himself finally and went to the wicked city of Nineveh and they repented and there was a great revival there in Nineveh. We believe that the early church in the book of Acts, it was said of them, these men have turned the world down. And we believe that, we read it. We have history that teaches us about great revivals that we, we know about. John and Charles Wesley brought a great revival to the nation of England. England was in a place in the early 1700s of just being spiritually bankrupt. 
it was, all, it was probably very similar to the situation that most of Europe is in today. There had been the enlightenment. There had been a change in philosophy. There was now the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And people's hearts had grown cold. People were, were it was a mean-spirited type of place. And people had lost their affection and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now John and Charles Wesley come along, and they begin to preach something different. They begin to preach and to say that it's not about just about religious duty. It's not about just showing up for church and going through a routine and going through the motions. It's not about just someone standing and telling you stories from Scripture and you taking and leaving and going home and saying, I've done my duty for the week. John and Charles Wesley began to preach that people should be converted in their souls and give their whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, that they should experience every day a personal intimacy with God. That it was a personal experience for each and every individual. And because of their preaching and their teaching and their conviction, born out of this great revival was what we call today the United Methodist Church which for centuries up until probably 1969 or 1970, the United Methodist was the second largest denomination in the United States or in the world. And because of John and Charles Wesley's preaching and teaching, this denomination was birthed, and through them came some of the greatest missionaries, some of the greatest evangelists, some of the greatest songwriters, some of the greatest lay people, who have ever been a part of the work of God. And it all began because John and Charles Wesley's mother, when they were children, would set them before her, and she would open up God's Word, and she would expound on God's Word, and she would teach them about the things of God, and she would pray over them that they would grow and become great men of God and be used by Him. That's where it all began. This morning, where, what are you praying for your children and your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren? Listen, my, my children are here this morning. I'm blessed that they're both here with me. And I hope that they grow. Um, I want them to achieve anything and everything that they, they possibly can. I want them to be and, and use any ability that they have to grow and to, and to become whatever it is they want to become. But I would rather them be, I would rather them just be normal good guys who are in love with the Lord Jesus Christ than anything else in this world. I would rather that they, it, it, that they, whatever it is that they could achieve, I would rather that if the Lord calls them to, to live a different life, that they would be obedient to that call and that they would do it. And that would please my heart and soul more. And I pray for that each and every day that's what we should be praying because a mother was willing to invest the time and effort in prayer and, and teaching her children this great revival began we believe and we hear the historical account of Jonathan Edwards there in colonial America there in the 1700s Jonathan Edwards who moved to, uh, the, uh, to America from, from Wales and he began to preach a different message. He began to preach a message 
that was to reinvigorate Christians to have a personal sense of connection with Jesus Christ and to reinforce the great need for salvation. Jonathan Edwards, who would walk to a pulpit and who would lay out a sermon and whose voice was monotone, he never changed his voice inflection. If you attended a university, you've probably read his great sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And Jonathan Edwards would simply sit and look at his sermon, and he would read his sermon word for word. And the Holy Spirit was so powerful through those words that even in his monotone voice, people would wail and cry out to God during his sermons and ask God to save their souls before he ever was finished. Sometimes John Wesley, sometimes, I'm sorry, sometimes Jonathan Edwards would have to stop his sermon and ask people to control themselves so that he could finish and that others could be one to Christ. That is a powerful, prayerful conviction. And because of his preaching and because of his obedience in prayer life, in one church in six months, 300 people were converted and became followers of Jesus Christ. And then from that point, this revival spread throughout all 13 colonies and began known as what history calls the First Great Awakening. Because of his preaching and teaching there in New England, the universities of Princeton and Dartmouth were established for the teaching of young men to become what? To become preachers. Probably on those university campuses today, they'd run you off if you, if you opened up a Bible and started preaching. I know there's divinity schools still there. But think about that. Two universities were established just to teach young men how to become preachers. Because one man prayed and was obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand history teaches us that Charles Finney and A.C. Lanfear were used to bring a great revival in New York City in 1857, A.C. Lanfear was 49 years old. He was a businessman in New York City, and he was doing pretty well. And he went to a meeting of people who were concerned about the spiritual condition of New York City. And they asked him, would he give up his profession and become a leader of prayer meetings and door-to-door -door evangelism in New York City? And he gave up his prosperous business and for less than $1,000 a year agreed to become the leader of this movement. And he began to go and to put up signs all around New York City asking for people to meet on a specific day in a specific place to come together to pray for the spiritual condition of, this, of the city. You know how many people showed up that day? Mr. Lanfear was the only one. He was the only one who came. The next time that they held the meeting, six people showed up and they began to pray. As a result of that, before the end of the year, 10,000 businessmen gathered in New York City every day for prayer. This spread to the cities of Philadelphia and Chicago and other great cities in America and it ushered in another great revival that Charles Finney began to preach. All because A.C. Lanfear was obedient, one man was obedient to God and did what he was called to do. 
we see these things and we hear these stories and we know they're true, we have written accounts of them. But, some, but for some reason, we look at our city, our nation, and our world, and we believe that God won't bring revival the way that he did then. And maybe it's because of the unwillingness to pay the price of revival. Because revival comes because of a great effort of prayer and fasting among God's people. Now listen, we should expect revival. We should expect it to come, but here's what you should also expect when that revival comes. You should also expect those defeatist voices that are always there. Those defeatist voices that although they see the revival that is happening and they see what God is doing, for some reason they don't like it. I hadn't used the term in a long time, but they're the nattering nabobs of negativity. You remember those people? No matter what's going on spiritually and no matter how good it is, they, they just get, they'll find some reason why it's just not good enough. In every single church, there's always those people and there's always those things that stop revival from happening, that kill the, the revival that could be happening. Now, in, in a lot of places, churches will ask themselves. They'll say, you know, we always get to this certain point. We always get to right here. We always get to this number or we always get to this place. And then something always happens. And we just go right back to where we were. I've had conversations with lots of pastors and lots of church members who will say those, those, those very same things to me. And, and the number one reason that I can always point to is because when revival starts, there's always a group of people who want to say this, this phrase, well, that's not how we do things. That, that's not how we do things. All these people and all these, they, they, don't they know how we do things and don't they know how things are supposed to be done? Every church has those people. Every church has those situations. And let me, let me, let me give you this glimpse into your own life. If you are a person who is experiencing a personal revival, if you are a person who has experienced the overflowing love of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has become the most important thing in your life. I've seen that so many times, and just in the past month, I have cautioned some people who are living that way, and I've told them, don't let church, don't let church interrupt what Jesus is doing in your life. Don't let the negative attitudes of people at church, the negative attitudes of people in your family, the negative attitudes of friends who Jesus Christ is not working in and who Jesus Christ is not doing anything in their lives because they won't submit their lives to him. Don't let their negativity stop what God is doing in your life. Amen. Because let me tell you something. God is unchanged. God has seen it all, God has heard it all, God knows it all, and God wants to do something in each and every single life in this room this morning if we will submit to him and allow his Holy Spirit to lead our lives and, allow, and not allow those things to burden us down and to bring us down. God is unchanged. God still wants to revive people. God still wants to revive churches. God still wants to move in cities. God is waiting on us to repent and change 
and to be a part of what he wants to do. So we can have revival now. We should expect revival. And lastly, we should rejoice when revival comes. Personally, in my life, when revival has come to me, it has begun in tears, but those tears have led to great joy in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you are still grieving over sins that you committed in the past and you're still grieving over things that you did wrong in the past and things that are still haunting you and bothering you, let me tell you, you are not understanding the complete grace of God and you need revival. You need to let those things, you need to take those things one time finally, give them to God, walk away from them and experience the revival that he wants you to have in your own life. You need to change. You need to stop praying, woe is me, and begin praising great is he. There was a great revival once in the nation of Wales. And during that revival in the nation of Wales, the coal mines were filled with men in the coal mines who were singing great hymns to the praise of God. The bars were empty, and there were days during this revival that the courts had no cases of crime to try. This revival began because on December the 31st of 1903 and January the 1st of 1904, a man began to preach about the great need for souls to be saved in the nation of Wales. And after a few weeks of preaching, on February the 14th, 1904, after one of the sermons on salvation and conversion, a young woman named Flory Evans stood before the congregation in New Quay, Cardiganshire, Wales, and simply said these words, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. After she said these words, the Holy Spirit began to convict others and many other people there that day gave their lives to Jesus Christ and a revival swept the nation of Wales in which an estimated 150,000 people gave their life to Christ. Now think about that. It began with one. It began with one. Are you willing to let a revival begin in you? Are you willing today, are you willing in your life to let a revival begin in you that may spread to your, in your family, in your Sunday school class, in the church, in your community, in your neighborhood? Are you willing to be obedient this morning to allow a revival to begin in you? Are you willing to pay the price of prayer? Are you willing to pray the, pay the price of consecrating yourself and setting yourself aside and living for the Lord in such a way that He revives you and changes you completely as who you are and what you could be doing for the Lord Jesus Christ? It begins with one. It begins with people who are praying and who are saying, Lord, I need revival in my life. I need revival in my, I need refreshing and restoring in my life. It may begin in one person praying that. It may begin in a small group of people who meet together and pray that. 
I'm going to, at this evening, I want to go ahead and invite you to church this evening at, at 5.30 because as I preach, I'm going to ask you to specifically pray over things in our lives and in our church that, that we need to look to Jesus for, for complete restoration and a revival that needs to happen in this church and in this city. This afternoon, we're going to meet and we're, we're going to talk about Go and Grow at 4 o'clock. And there's a new, we, 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 we went and visited a lot of people back during the fall. But there's an important component of it that's missing, and that's soul winning. And I'm going to ask some of you to be soul winners. I'm going to ask some of you to go and to, and to share your own personal story and tell people about Jesus and, and go with the conviction that he's going to lead people through that, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, He's going to lead those people to repent and follow Jesus. Now, is that a lot of is that a lot for a pastor to ask of a congregation? Well, let me tell you this: Where does it have to begin? It has to begin here. It has to begin in my soul and in my heart. And I want to tell you, I'm ready. And, and I, I I don't want to, I don't want to drag people along. I want people I want I want to have to run to keep up with some of you. Amen. And this morning, I'm simply saying to you this. If you can look at your life, and you can look at your home, and you can look at your church, and you can look at your city, and you can say everything is fine, then this message wasn't for you. But if you can look at any of those areas and say things aren't right with God, then this message was for you. Because it was for me first. It was for me first. So here's how I want you to respond this morning. I want you to pray. I want you to pray and ask God to do whatever it is he needs to do in your life for you to have revival, for you to be restored, and for you to be refreshed, and for you to have a desire to see other people come to know Jesus Christ. There is a sense of urgency that should be in every one of, if you're a believer, there should be a sense of urgency about the day that we live in and the things that we see and the lives that we see people leading, and to be able to look and to see that the Christians, the people who call themselves Christians' lives are in most cases no different than the people of the world who have no care for God or the things of God. And there's a, there's a great problem when we look and see that. And so this morning I'm asking you to pray. And I'm asking you if you want to come to these altars and pray, or if you want to stay where you are, but I believe one of the great problems in our nation is this, and I've said it two or three times before, empty, dry eyes and empty altars are the greatest problem of the church today. We are more, we are more worried about being dignified than we are about digging in and praying and asking God to do a work in our lives and in our city and in our church. So this morning I'm asking you to do that. If you're here this morning and you've heard this, you've heard about these great revivals and about people giving their souls to Christ and that interests you and you don't really understand, come, come this morning, meet with me, I'll take scriptures and I'll show you how to know that your life is, is in the hands of Jesus Christ. You can be forgiven, forgiven of your sins and know him and be with him throughout eternity. Darren's coming this morning, I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a time of of decision, a time of worship, and a time of reflection. But would you pray during this time? Father, as we stand here in your congregation, 
in your house. I pray this morning and I ask, dear Lord, that you take my feeble effort and you take it and fill it with your Holy Spirit and you show us how we need to live and how we need to give our lives and submit to you. How we need to pray for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. How we need to pray that this church goes into revival and souls are one so that we know that if you tarry and don't return, that this church will be here a hundred years from now still trying to lead people in this community to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this as sincerely as I possibly know how. I thank you for giving me these words to say. And I ask, dear God, that you bless this time. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?